topic that we're going to talk about, I think, is fraught with um, pain and woundedness and difficulty for a lot of people. Um, and so I, I think I'm nervous about trying to say the right thing or make sure I say all the right things that everybody needs to hear about this topic. Um, so I say that not as a disclaimer, but as an invitation, I guess. I would say, like, if what we talk about brings something up for you, if it brings up a question, if it brings up pain, if it brings up hurt, and you don't hear good news about that, uh, talk to me about it. Like, I'm, I'm available to ask questions. Um, come to the Tuesday night class. That's a lot of what that class is for, um, along with our beginnings and endings series. We've been doing this class on Tuesday nights. It's an online class. You can log in from anywhere if you have an internet connection. Uh, but an online class where we, we just go deeper into the text, we go deeper into the, the topic, um, and it's a place where you can bring kairoses, uh, where you can bring questions, where you can bring some of these things. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to say that to you uh, today and kind of confess my, I'm coming at this with a little fear and trepidation. So all the more uh, that I would want to say to you, the Lord be with you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for your word to go forth. We pray for it to move in power. We pray for good news to be able to be heard today by us, your people, your church, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, so we're in the middle of this beginnings and endings series, as Matt said at the beginning of our service. It's coming to a close soon. We've got this sermon today. Uh, we've got confirmations and baptisms uh, next week. And then uh, the week after that is the final week of this sermon, and we'll go the week after that into Advent where we'll go back to the lectionary, preaching from the lectionary. And our, the rest of our preaching team will start to, to, to preach again as well. Um, but we've talked in this series about um, the beginning of our story, uh, where we came from, what uh, the Lord has been doing in creation, that God has created the world as a temple for communion, where he wanted to share his life with with people, with humans, who uh, would be people that would be in covenant with him, um, not only in relationship and, and deriving their identity from him, but also then deriving authority from him to be able to work as agents, as icons in the world with God. And so um, that, uh, that identity and calling was compromised through sin. We talked about the fall and the curse and the situation that we're in today. Uh, and then we started talking about endings. We started talking about the future. We started talking about where is this all going? What has God done in Christ? And where is that story taking us? And how can, what can we know about that? And how does that uh, help us uh, in our lives today? And so um, the future to which God is leading us is new creation, not disembodied souls kind of floating around in heaven, but it's new creation. It's God actually redeeming and restoring all things, making everything sad come untrue. And, uh, and, and doing that for us and what, what God has done in Christ, for Christ, in the midst of history, he will do for the whole cosmos at the end of history. We talked about the second coming of Christ and judgment and hell and heaven and how all that kind of fits into this future uh, that the Bible gives us about our, our future together as God's people. So in these final two sermons, uh, we want to just, just say, so what? A little bit. Like, we've been, we've been trying to say, so what, you know, in each of the sermons. But so what? How does this, what are the implications for us um, in our lives today uh, as being the church today? How does this vision of our beginning and the, this vision of our end affect our life today? What changes? And so today I want to talk about um, two topics about how this, uh, how this affects us today. One is salvation and one is community. So what, if this is our story, what does it mean to be saved? That's a word that gets thrown. I, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with that word, you know get saved. What does that mean? 
And, and how does that work? And what, what would that mean if this is the story that God is writing, if this is the redemption that God is bringing to us? What does it mean that we're saved, and what does that have to do with the church, uh, the community that God is creating? And here's the good news for us today. Salvation isn't a private insurance policy for your soul. Salvation is the whole you participating in the life of God, becoming part of new creation today. And the church is where this is learned and lived out. So we're not only saved from our slavery to sin, we are saved to community in the church. We join a new family. To get saved then is to become integrated into the life of the church, the body of Christ on earth where we build one another up in love until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, as Paul said to the Ephesians in the letter that we read. So though we carry wounds from our involvement in the church, and many of us do, I've heard that story from a lot of you, that you carry wounds from trying to be involved in the body of Christ. And though many of us carry fear about getting hurt, Fear about opening up. Fear about really becoming part of the body of Christ. Even though those things are very true for very many of us. We are the body of Christ together. There's no getting around it. That's just how salvation works. You become part of the body of Christ uh, as much as many of us would like to leave it behind. And just be a solitary Christian praying contemplative prayers. And just being by myself and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. Many of us would love that but that's just not how it works. We're part of this body, and we, we have to grapple with that. That's part of what it means to be saved. So we learn to do that in the church, and we learn to, do, we learn to live the life that Christ has given us through his death and resurrection here in the church. So the invitation to, that's the good news. The invitation today is this. Will you participate? Will you bring your gifts to the table? Will you bring your weakness to the table? Will you bring your need and your vulnerability to the table? Will you risk it? Will you trust? Trust God to heal and restore. Uh, I have a friend of a friend named Larry uh, who was working at a church. Um, he was an associate pastor. This church was about 200 people. And the senior pastor was, you know, they, they'd kind of flatlined in their growth, and the senior pastor wanted to make the church grow. That's kind of what a lot of pastors sort of think their job is, is to make the church grow, to kind of get more people into the building, and, you know, that's a sign of life, and so we, we think as pastors that that's probably what our job is, and so the pastor was, and the church then, the, uh, thus, was engaged in all of these strategic initiatives uh, that were meant to help the church grow, uh, and so uh, this friend of a friend, Larry, um, he was tasked with pastoral care for this whole church. Um, again, 200 people, it's a lot of people, um, you know, like our church is, what, 50, 60 people, um, and sometimes I feel overwhelmed at the, you know, uh, at, the, at the things that we, we all are dealing with, right? It's just, it's a lot. So this pastor, who's a full-time associate pastor, he was pastorally caring for the whole church. And he and his wife, uh, Tiffany, had four kids, um, all under the age of eight. <laughs> and this had taken, uh, they'd taken this burden on dutifully. You know, they, they said, this is what God is calling us to. We want to we wanna do this. And, um, but uh, there were cracks beginning to show uh, in the foundation that there was, um, this wasn't sustainable. It was becoming evident and obvious. They were starting to burn out. They didn't have enough time with their kids. Their kids were starting to act out in school. Um, Larry was, was trying to do his best to care for these people and then care for his family, and, uh, but it was just becoming untenable. 
You know, the church needed to grow, and so Larry was trying to do his part, you know. But at home, his kids are acting out, and they realize he needs more time, and he just felt kind of torn. Does that make sense? Uh, and his wife, Tiffany, uh, kind of had this minor nervous breakdown that led to her going to counseling for the first time. And in counseling, uh, she learned uh, that she was codependent, which was like a huge revelation to her. She's like, oh my goodness, this, is, this explains so much, right? And so if you're not familiar, codependent, it just means that you rely on other people's behavior for your sense of identity and okayness. I can't be okay unless you're okay, you know? If Joel's mad at me, like, that is a really big... If I'm codependent with Joel, I'm like, I cannot let that happen. Does it make sense? That's codependent. So Tiffany was realizing this and was starting to get some real freedom in her life because of this. She was starting to realize, I can say no, I can disappoint people. That's okay. I can do that. Um, and she's starting to realize these things and starting to set better boundaries, and this is affecting their family life um, in positive ways. They're learning to say no to things. Larry's, Larry's learning from his wife to say, like, oh, I, I, I'm codependent, too, with the church. Um, I can't let things fall to the ground. I need to, I need to, you know, I need to be there. I need, to, I need to engage in this new way of living, this new way of... So God is doing some good things in their life, right? Kind of showing them why these cracks were beginning to show in their life. And so ultimately, um, it started to affect, you know, his normal job performance because Larry was used to sort of bending over backward, fulfilling all these pastoral needs, but then he was starting to realize, like, I don't have the capacity for all of this. And so started, went in to talk with his senior pastor about it, and he said, you just said, try to be honest about it and say, hey, listen, this is where we're at. We're learning a lot. Um, we're getting healthier. We're learning to set these boundaries. Um, you know, we're, I'm realizing that the pace that our family is living at has become unsustainable. And I just want to invite you into that. I want to invite you to help me discern what does that mean for you know, the, the stuff I'm supposed to be doing around the church and what, is, what does that mean for us. You know, I'm not sure what it means, but here's where I'm at. Here's what I think I need. And uh, you can maybe guess what happened that the senior pastor who was trying to go for church growth did not welcome that as a sign that, oh, God's present at work in the associate pastor's life. That's wonderful. I wonder what God's going to do. Nope. He was put under a care and discipline plan for six months, uh, at the end of which uh, he was fired because he was, not, he was no longer fulfilling the function of we got to grow this church. And so, uh, right, many of you have stories like this where what God is doing in me when I try to bring that to the church and share it, it's met with rejection. It's met with a cutting off. It's met with, that doesn't have anything to do with us, with what's happening here. That doesn't have anything to do with this institution. You either play your part, be a cog in the machine, do the institution, or, you know, that's fine if you want to grow spiritually, but do it somewhere else. It's maybe a crass way of saying it. But this is how it feels, right? I see a lot of nodding heads. There's a lot of woundedness that a lot of us have that has come from the very place that we're called to live out our faith. So how does that work? We can't, we're trying to live out our faith. God's doing something. I try to bring it, but it's met with this sense of, no, that's not, that's not the appropriate place for you to bring that. You pray about that, but don't bring it here. When you started doubting and asking questions, Maybe you were rejected and said, you know, you're, you're being a bad example to the rest of the body. You shouldn't ask those questions. Maybe you were labeled a problem. You were told to stop. When you had a crisis, maybe you were dropped because you became an obstacle to church growth. People didn't know how to handle it, what to do with it. 
You were told you were too needy. Your pain wasn't acknowledged. There's a lot of stories like this. And because of this pain, and because of the fear of being vulnerable, again, right? A lot of us hold, hold this pain in our bodies, and we don't want to offer it up to anybody. Because what if I get hurt again? Because of that, it's really easy to, to think that church really isn't worth the pain. It's not really worth it. Maybe I'll find a place where I can go, I can sit in the back, I can just sing the songs, hear the sermons. But really, it's just me and Jesus, because that feels safe. It doesn't feel safe to open up to the body of Christ. It's really easy for us to do this, to go into that mode. But again, what God has been doing since the beginning is not saving individuals for disembodied bliss, but creating a people, a society, a community, an ecclesia, the Israel of God, the called out ones. And so how we relate to each other matters just as much as how we relate to God. And this is the environment that we're called to work out our salvation within. This is what he's been doing. He's been creating a people he can dwell with. This is where our story is going. God dwelling with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. God creating the heavens and earth anew and saying, now my people can be with me and we can get on with the work. This is where we're going. And so what do we do now? It's tempting to think it's just me and Jesus and I'll just sort of cross my fingers and hope that uh, heaven comes soon, right? We just wait for new creation? Like, what, what do we do now? Hope it doesn't take too long? <laughs> no, we don't, because God's future has broken into the present. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's future, what he's going to do for the whole cosmos has come true in Jesus Christ. But further than that, now in the church as well. Those of us who trust in Jesus, those of us who are baptized into his death and resurrection, experience now, here, today, part of that death and resurrection. So it's not all future. It's not all present either. We, are, we, we do look forward to a time when God will renew all things. But a lot of it is present, a lot more than most of us participate in on a daily basis. That actually in the church, God's future has broken into the present. And so God is not in the business of saving individual souls for disembodied bliss. God's in the business of renewing and healing the whole cosmos through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that, that starts, that work starts today with those who belong to Jesus, those, those who belong to the body of Christ. So the healing and the renewing of the whole cosmos, you could say, starts in this room as we listen to the word preached. It starts in this room as we pray in response. It starts in this room as we say, I need healing. It starts in this room as we come to the table and say, I need the life of Jesus in the bread and in the wine. It starts in this room as we're sent out into mission and we learn to embody this. This is where the salvation of the world starts. It starts in the church. This is what God has said. And this is Talking about the church as the body of Christ is obviously, it's a, it's a biblical metaphor, but it's so much more than just a metaphor, just a way of talking about, it's kind of like we're all together in Christ. This is actually a mystical reality. That's part of what I love about the Anglican tradition, is that we actually believe in this stuff, right? That there's a mystical reality, that we are the body of Christ. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, in his historical body, the ecclesial body of the church is present. And when we get saved... We, come, we become part of something that is, that is all over the world and that goes back 2,000 years, 
We become part of something. We don't just make up our faith. We don't just have individual experiences of God. We become part of this thing called the body of Christ. Saul encountered this on the road to Damascus. I always found it interesting that when Saul gets knocked off his horse, he's going to persecute Christians, right? It's causing them pain, suffering, putting them in prison, all of this kind of thing, separating families. And when he does this, uh, he's on his way to Damascus and has this vision, he gets knocked off his horse. Jesus appears to him and says what? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why are you giving my followers a hard time? He could have. But he said, why are you persecuting me? So Jesus is experiencing persecution when his followers experience persecution. When the church suffers, Jesus suffers. When you suffer, Jesus suffers. That's his level of oneness and solidarity with you, with us. If we're suffering, Jesus is suffering. He's suffering with us. When we're baptized into Christ, we're joined with Jesus in the church, in a covenant oneness, and this is called the body of Christ. We already are the body of Christ, this is just true, but our passage in Ephesians shows us that there is a growing up that we need to do, and the church is the context for that growing up. So we are the body of Christ, but we need to become the body of Christ. There's a maturity that we're called into that each of us then can play our part in reaching. So quickly, in our text in Ephesians, this is, I'm just going to go through this uh, quickly. There's four elements that seem to contribute to the maturing of the church, that as we think about our place in the church and our participation in the body of Christ, these things uh, will be important for us to remember. The first thing is humility. Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. The calling that we've received is to become part of the body of Christ, but because the body of Christ is made up of broken people just like we are, it's going to require some humility. It's going to require some bearing with one another in love. Putting up with each other is another way of talking about that, right? You're not going to like everybody you go to church with. That's not, it's, this is a, that's a consumer dream. You know, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this church and everybody's going to be cool and, you know, we're all going to have the same pop culture references and it's going to be, nothing's going to be awkward, right? It's a, it's, a dream, it's a dream. It's a pipe dream. It doesn't happen. The people that we end up in the body of Christ with are people that we oftentimes have to put up with. We bear with one another. And put up with isn't just a, a toleration. It's, it's a bearing with one another in love to say, I'm connected to you. You're connected to me. I'm going to trust that more than I trust my feelings of annoyance or agitation. So humility is important. Second, unity. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, who is over all, through all, in all. We don't achieve unity, we keep it. God has achieved the unity. When we become part of the body of Christ, we're united with the body of Christ. It's just a fact. We're united. We're one. Our task is to keep it, to acknowledge it, to recognize it. How? Bearing with one another in love, for example. That's trusting our unity more than I trust my feelings. And this is urgent for Paul. Make every effort to keep this unity. It's not a nice-to-have. It's 
it's required, it's urgent, it's so important to keep the unity of the faith. Because this unity that God has created in the church cuts across every line that we try to draw to separate us from each other. Jew and Gentile, no, no more in the church. You don't divide because of ethnicity anymore. Male and female, no, not in the church. Men do not dominate women in the church, not anymore. That's not how this works. Slave and free, rich and poor, nope, you're one. You're one in Christ. This is the relentless message of the New Testament, of what the body of Christ is. It is the revelation of the new humanity. And the fact that Paul was calling it the church, the ecclesia of God, was actually, was, uh, we can get into this more on Tuesday night, but it was basically declaring that God had created a new race of people. On the earth. That was the only way that people had of understanding what was going on. Because for them, Jew and Gentile, for example, was that was the core of identity, was I'm not a Gentile. Right? And for a Jewish man, I'm not a woman. <laughs> right? They thanked God for that. That was the core of their identity. And Paul says, no, there's a deeper place in Christ. You're all one. You're unified together. And so part of the task of the church is to is to is to find these lines. That humanity has drawn to say, we're, we're this, you're that, we're different, we're separate. And to, in the power of the Spirit, step across those lines and say, no. In Christ, we're all one. So unity is important. Humility, unity. Diversity is the third thing. Um, I'll say this too. The, the gospel passage where Jesus says, uh, who are my mother and my brothers? This is the reality Jesus was talking about, was saying, like, this is the new family I'm creating. The waters of baptism are thicker than blood. They're thicker than blood. This is your new level of belonging. But within that unity, there's a diversity. Paul says that Christ gave out gifts. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. We all have different gifts that we bring to the body. So in our unity, there is a diversity that allows for, and this is the fourth thing, mutuality. Why is there diversity within the unit? The unity is not a uniformity. It's a unity in diversity so that we can build one another up in love. So that what I bring to the table is not just my gift, but also my need. And what you bring to the table is not just your gift, but also your need. And so my gift can meet your need and your gift can meet my need. We build one another up in love. That's the mutuality that Paul calls us to in this passage. And the goal of all of this is maturity. Then we'll no longer be infants toss back and forth, uh, but instead will, in all things, grow up to become the mature body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So maturity means we're able to fulfill the purposes of God. We're able to be the body of Christ. We're able to become a community where people can see what Jesus is like because they see how we love one another, because they see how our relationships work. And they can say, oh, that's what Jesus is like. This is what God is doing in the world. That we would become a new kind of community, people who actually love one another. And part of the reason we need the body of Christ is you can't love one another all by yourself. You need an, a one another. You need, an another. you need another, right, in order to love. You need someone else to practice any of the one another commands in the New Testament, a community of love. So salvation today, friends, is not a private insurance policy for your soul. 
Salvation is your whole self participating in the life of God, becoming part of new creation today. And the church is where this is learned and lived out. So we're not only saved from our sin, we're saved to community, to join this new family. To get saved is to become integrated into the life of the church, the body of Christ on earth, where we build one another up in love until we reach unity and maturity in the faith. Though we carry wounds, many of us, though we have fear of what this would mean, this is where God is at work. We are the body of Christ together. There's just no other way to follow Jesus. The church is where we learn to live the life that Christ has given us through his death and resurrection. And today, will you participate? Will you bring your gifts? They're welcome here. Will you bring your need? It's welcome here. Will you bring your pain and your hurt and your woundedness? It will be seen here. It's best of our, to the best of our ability, this is the kind of community we're trying to create, trying to submit to what Christ has called us to be. It's a quote from a theologian named Gerhard Lofink that gets at this quite well. It can only be that God begins in a small way at one single place in the world. There must be a place, visible, tangible, where the salvation of the world can begin. That is where the world becomes what it is supposed to be according to God's plan. Beginning at that place, this new thing can spread abroad, but not through persuasion, not through indoctrination, not through violence. Everyone must have the opportunity to come and see. All must have the chance to behold and test this new thing. Then, if they want to, they can allow themselves to be drawn into the history of salvation that God is creating. Only in that way can their freedom be preserved. What drives them to the new thing cannot be force, not even moral pressure, but only the fascination of a world that has changed. That's our call. New life beings means being integrated into the church. We become the body of Christ. We learn this life together. Church father Cyprian said it this way, you cannot have the church as a father unless you also have the church as your mother. And he didn't mean the institution. He meant the body of Christ, which has an institutional form. We're not anti-institution. But this revolutionary new world, which began with the resurrection of Jesus, this world where Jesus reigns as Lord, having won the victory over the power of sin and death, has its frontline outposts in those who share in the baptized life, who share in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Where is this new world? Well, it's right here. Well, it's, it's us. We're the new world, and we get to work this out together. Amen? Amen. So uh, how do we respond to this good news? Um, before, before I call us to respond, I do want to acknowledge that so much of the hurt and the pain that we've experienced in the church has come at the hands of pastors and leaders, those who ought to have cared for you, oftentimes didn't. So sometimes it's our own brokenness, it's our own sin, it's our own fears that drive us away from church. But sometimes, legitimately, bad things <laughs> were done by leaders, by those in authority. And as a pastor, somebody who's led in the church for many, many years, I want to say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. It should never have happened to you. It was wrong. We as pastors have too often abandoned our call to care for the sheep, to lay down our lives, 
as Christ did. And instead, we've been content to build empires or to establish followings or to build celebrity cred or to write books and try to make money. And you've been part of the collateral damage of all of those things. And so, as a pastor, I just want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the hurt that you've received from those in authority over you. So, um, how do we respond to this good news? We respond basically by uh, bringing, bringing ourselves to the table, right? We, bring, we just show up. Uh, we participate in the giving and the receiving, in the mutuality, in the offering of gifts, in the offering of weakness. As somebody who's been a leader in the church for a long time, I'm used to offering my gifts, you know? I'm used to preparing a sermon and giving it, you know, all of that kind of thing. I'm used to doing that. And so for me, part of my learning is to, is to bring my weakness, is to bring my vulnerability, is to bring my need. It's a very new thing for me. But it's how I'm responding to this call to say, I, I, I need the, I'm not just a service provider for the body of Christ. I'm, I'm part of the body of Christ, which means I need these gifts. And I can't get them unless I know, unless I can express my need. To say, is there anything that you have for me? Here's my need. And so part of that is even how I, <laughs> I think feeling nervous about giving this sermon is part of that for me. It's like, okay, let's, I'm just going to say that. I'm just going to confess that to you. But others of you may be more used to bringing your needs than your gifts. And I would suggest that you need to bring your gifts. You need to come as somebody who has something to offer. And I truly believe that all of you do. And so uh, participation, whatever that looks like for you, what does that look like? Maybe today it looks like, maybe you realized, wow, I still have a lot of pain and hurt from this relationship uh, with, with, with a church. I've got a church wound that needs healing. Go for healing prayer today. We've got prayer ministers during communion who are there, who are available to minister the grace of God to you. Find healing. Find healing from that wound. Uh, many of you are going to be confirmed next week, which is an amazing step of faith, of, of a commitment, of maturity, of mission. It's beautiful. We're, uh, we're in the midst of, uh, many of you have seen this giving campaign that we're doing. Uh, we're in the midst of that as well. But that's, that, that's an offering not just of, you know, uh, gifts of money, but it's also an offering of gifts of time. So where can you, can you participate in the table group? Come, bring some food to share. Share your life with others. Come, be a part of what we're doing together as the body of Christ. Those are some ways uh, that you might want to respond. And uh, come to communion. <laughs> come to the table. Receive the bread. Uh, become part, part of what happens at this table is that we become the body of Christ. As we participate in his death and resurrection, we receive the bread and the wine. We, the historical body of Christ on the cross becomes the sacramental body of Christ in the bread and the wine. And then it becomes the ecclesial, the church, the body of Christ as we go from this place. So come forward uh, for communion as a way of responding. And let's also respond in prayer. Um, there's a prayer in your booklet uh, that says, God our Father, you have created us as one new humanity in the church in the midst of my... And there's a blank there. Give me courage to participate fully as a member of the body of Christ. So whatever it is for you, whatever it is that would cause hesitation for you, maybe it's a wound, maybe it's fear, 
Whatever it is that would say to you, this isn't worth it. It's not worth it. Put that in there and ask God today for faith, for courage to participate fully in the body of Christ, trusting that we need you as much as you need it, all of us. Okay? All right, let's pray together. God, our Father, you have created us as one new humanity in the church. In the midst of my fear of being vulnerable, give me courage to participate fully as a member of the body of Christ. Lord, in your mercy.